Acts chapter 13. Now, for those of you that, that say, did I enter a time warp, how did we skip from Acts chapter 10 to Acts 13? We're doing a series on the sermons in the book of Acts, all right? So I got to go where the sermons are. <laughs> and if you want a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter breakdown of the book of Acts, we've done that. And you can check it out on the podcast. It's there. It's the series is Acts. And if you ever want to go verse-by-verse, we did that. We'll probably do it again. Um, but right now we're going sermon-by-sermon. And so there's a period of time, I'll tell you what you missed, Acts chapter 10, we left off with Peter and his buddies going to a Gentile's house, to an Italian's house of all people, Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a centurion, and we saw him preach the gospel in a place he was never going to preach the gospel before, because he was a good Jew that didn't hang out with Gentiles. But God opened the door to us filthy Gentiles. Thank God. God opened the door to us. And uh, the gospel is preached to us. And God didn't call us filthy. He said, don't ever call unclean the ones that I've cleansed. And so we got, we got this powerful moment where they received the Spirit and started speaking in other tongues. And Peter said, well, I guess we can't stop them from being baptized. They've already received the Holy Spirit. So let's, we can't hold water back from these people. Let's, let's just, they've just... Jump the, jump the line. They've, they've already skipped ahead. In between that, Peter got kind of called out by his fellow disciples who thought he'd done a bad thing. And so they asked him to just explain himself. And he said he, he used the scripture and showed how God had prophesied that, they, that Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles also. That, that this was biblical. That this wasn't just something he came up with. And then... Uh, Not only that, but he told them about what the Holy Spirit did when he was with Cornelius. And those people shut their mouths and then began to glorify God. They, they, this, we could take a lesson from these people. They thought they were right and they thought Peter was wrong. And then Peter, by the word and the spirit, explained himself. They recognized it was God. They shut their mouth. So the first thing you need to do when you're criticizing something that's of God is shut your mouth. The next thing you need to do is glorify God. Don't keep your mouth shut. Right? Don't leave your mouth. Your mouth is not supposed to stay shut. In the book of Romans, God had to shut your mouth because it was full of cursing and vile stuff. He had to shut your mouth with the law. But then it was by your, with your mouth, you, you confessed Jesus is Lord and got saved. And then it says, with one voice, we glorify God. With one, literally one mouth, we glorify God. So your mouth has been redeemed. So you shut your mouth, then you open it and glorify God. Then what happens is we go on and, and there's been a group of people coming out of Jerusalem that were scattered that began to preach to Gentiles. And this was a new thing. Um, most of the people were preaching to other Jews. These guys started preaching to the Greeks and, and other national, nationalities. And the church in Antioch was formed. Antioch is known now, uh, when we look back at history, it was called in the ancient world the cradle of Christianity. This is when the church exploded. Because the church in Jerusalem was was the beginning of something. But the church in Antioch changed it. The church in Jerusalem was about gathering. The church in Antioch was about sending. And praise God, that's an example for us. We may have started out feeling like the church in Jerusalem. Let's just get as many people in the building as possible. But at some point, God wants to shift you to be like the church in Antioch, that it's not just about how many people you can get in. It's how many people you can send out and see God work. And so it was in Antioch that the prophets and the apostles gathered for an impromptu meeting, began ministering to the Lord, fasting and praying and ministering to God. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke. And said, set apart Saul, who later we know as Paul, Saul and Barnabas for the work of my ministry. And the first missionary trip was born right there in Antioch. 
you know, it's cool. I've got a, we've got a, a friend who pastors in Calgary, and uh, his son is, uh, his son Sam actually plays left back for the Canadian national soccer team. He's really good. And I care a lot about that. And one day somebody else will. Um, <laughs> one day I'll find someone else that cares. But anyways, we're going to the World Cup this year, guys. Right on. Um, Sam actually plays soccer in, in Antioch, uh, which is so cool. So one of these days I want to go, um, I want to go watch Sam play soccer and then go in this place where the, the church exploded and the first missionary journey launched from. Skipping ahead to that. They go and they minister from Antioch and they begin to speak in different villages and cities and they find themselves in a different Antioch. Now don't be confused, there's like 16 or 17 Antiochs in the ancient world at this time. That's what happens when you have a general who goes around conquering and naming everything after his dad, all right? Happy Father's Day, I named 17 villages after you. So we have Syrian Antioch, which is where the church started exploding, and, and Barnabas and Paul came and shepherded that movement for a time, and then they were sent out from Antioch. Then we have what's called Pisidian Antioch. Now this, Syrian Antioch is just north of Israel, all right? So that's in what's now Syria. Pisidian Antioch is over there in the inland, okay? So that's like in the middle of Turkey. And so Pisidian Antioch is where Paul and Barnabas have ended up, and uh, they've come to the synagogue, right? Let's find some people that at least have a common starting point. They believe the Bible. They have the prophets. So let's go to synagogue, as was their practice. In Acts 13, verse 14, it says, But going from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. After reading of the law and of the prophets, the synagogue official said to them, sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, go ahead and say it. So they don't know what they're asking for. They really don't know that... Paul's about to blow the doors wide open on this building. But Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and all of you who fear God, listen. Now, why, why did he say it that way? Men of Israel and. Men of Israel and. Because he understands that in, within earshot are people that call themselves sons of Israel that are, that are uh, of, of Israelite descendants. But then there's also people who have come to believe that are coming to synagogue, that are proselytes from other nations. And so he says, men of Israel, and all you who fear God, listen to me. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Isn't that a, wouldn't you love for God to say that about your life? For a period of about 90 years, I put up with this person, you know. Put up with this church for about 40 years. That's, that's what he said. For about 40 years, God put up with them. And thank God he is a God of mercy, right? He put up with them in the wilderness. And it says, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then he asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise. I want you to hear that phrase, and I want you to notice it. 
according to promise. Paul is going back, and, and maybe this is starting to feel familiar as we've gone through several of these Acts sermons. It seems like we get a history lesson every time, right? They start talking about our fathers did this, and the prophets said this, and they go back through the Bible, and they show them Jesus as the Messiah. But here's the deal. When the Holy Spirit's on it, it's not just a history lesson. It's like when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with those disciples and opening the scripture to him, opening the scripture to them, right? He's not saying, he didn't open his scroll. When it says he opened the scripture, it means he, he, he let them understand it in a new way. It was like the scripture opened up before them. And he showed them himself, starting from the books of Moses onward, he showed them where he was in the Bible. And so all of a sudden, things are opening up for these people. But I want you to see, according to promise, there's a word that he keeps using here, which is fathers, our fathers, our father David, our father Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's, he's, he's talking about this God that has made a promise to people thousands of years before, and he kept it. Because that's the kind of God we serve. The, the problem with people today that may um, be religious, may have an understanding of the Bible, but no roots in their life, is not that... It's not always that they don't know the answers. It's that uh, we don't expect them. It's, 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 it's not that we don't technically believe God can do this. It's that we don't ever expect that he will. It's not that we don't believe God is able. It's that we don't believe he's willing. And so for Jesus to come to a group of people that knew that God had promised a Messiah, and yet nobody's looking for him, that's the problem of history. People saying, I believe Jesus is returning. But there's no expectation. People saying, I believe the Messiah is coming, but they're not looking for him. And so when he does come, they miss him when he's six inches from their nose. And so here, Paul is saying, God keeps his promise. And he made a promise to our fathers. And God kept that promise from our fathers to now. What's so cool about this is we've been going sermon by sermon through the book of Acts, not skipping any. And we land on this one on Father's Day, which is all about fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, which is about generations and God keeping a promise to a thousand generations. I want you to see yourself in it because Paul is having to stir up by way of remembrance. He's having to stir up the godly memory of these people saying, you read these stories, but you know that God is real and he didn't forsake us any more than he forsook our fathers. He says this, he says, from the descendants of this man. So we started out talking about the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Moses. Now we're talking about the descendants of David. According to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And that David is important. You know, David pops up quite a bit in this book of Acts, doesn't he? Those people are quoting from him all the time. There's a reason for it. And we're going to keep reading it. We'll talk about that in a minute. Here he says, According to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. 
For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him, Jesus, nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when he had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him up from the dead. Praise God. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children. And that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I've begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the Holy Spirit and the sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David... After he'd served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, in other words, he died, and was laid among his, his fathers and underwent went decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you, Behold, you scoffers, marvel and perish, for I'm accomplishing a work in your days, a work in which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken up to them the next Sabbath. And when they were meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes, these are people from other nations that have started to believe, followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. I want you to see the story that God has been weaving for thousands of years that you're a part of. You know, there is a bunch of phrases here used like David, after fulfilling the purpose of God in his generation, died. It says, John, filling, fulfilling his purpose, said this. Jesus, doing what he was sent to do, did this. Do you realize that every person that God has created has a purpose on this planet, and you should never try to complete more than your purpose or less than it. God has put you on a planet for a reason. David, after fulfilling the purposes of God, died. David couldn't do more than what God had put him on the planet to do. These people, uh, remember that as we, we look at these stories, we're never meant to forget. And sometimes in our North American ideology, we kind of see ourselves as very individual. It's about me. It's about my life. It's about my story, about my truth. But scripture paints a different picture. Hebrews 11, remember, talks about a story that's being weaved Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Deborah, all these men and women of faith, Sarah, and these people that went before us and laid a foundation. And it says this, they all died without the promise. They all died without receiving the thing that they labored for. They died without seeing, it says Abraham set out not knowing where he was going and, and he went out to the place that God had promised. He, right here, Abraham, look at the stars. Can you count them? Lord, I can't count them. That's what your descendants are going to be like. Immeasurable. 
Abraham, can you, can you count the grains of sand on the beach? No, Lord, I can't count them. That's what your descendants are going to be like. God gave him something he could look at at night and something he could look at in the daytime. To remember, if you can't count it, you're never going to be able to count your descendants. This is how numerable they're going to be, innumerable they're going to be. And it says that Abraham went to this place that God said, this is the promised land. You guys know that Abraham was pretty rich, right? The Bible said he had like flocks and flocks, herds of cattle, flocks of sheep. He had his own private army. Anybody here have your own private army? Don't raise your hand because somebody might report you. That's quite illegal. Nobody here could afford their own part, private army, as far as I know. But Abraham had his own little private army that whooped up on the bad guys when he came to rescue his nephew. And yet, Abraham lives his life as a nomad in tents. Why? Hebrews 11 tells us. It says he'd rather live in a tent in the promised land than live in the cities in a nice house. The cities of the wicked and the cities of people that this isn't what God promised us. He'd rather live in a tent in the land God promised them. A land he would never see conquered. A land he'd never see built up. A land he'd never see made permanent. A land that hundreds of years later his descendants would inherit. And yet the Bible says he considered the promise kept. God kept his promise. How many kids did Abraham have? Right? He had Ishmael, the son he kind of rushed into, and Isaac. He had two kids. Do you think Abraham was so old he couldn't count those kids? <laughs> How many boys do you have? Sorry, my brain's not what it used to be. No, he could count them, one, two. Do you think he, when he looked at the stars, he only saw two stars? When he looked at the sand, he only saw two grains of sand? And yet, even though he only had these two kids, and yeah, I'm sure he got to know his grandkids. Yet, with, with these very countable people, he sees God has kept his promise. I am the father of many. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Do you know on the, on the hill where Abraham offered up Isaac and God said, no, I'm not going to take your son. Here's a ram. On that day where Abraham trusted God and he told, his, he told his servant, the boy and I are coming back. There's no way God's taking my boy from me. I don't know if he has to raise him from the dead, but we're coming back. On that day, on that mountain, do you know he could just look right over there and see Golgotha? And do you think God let him see maybe a glimpse through time of his descendant that would be the ram sacrificed for us? In our place. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. David, David, you want to talk about David? David, the, Jesus is called as he comes into Jerusalem, the son of David, right? He calls in, in, in the book of Revelation, he says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who holds the key of David. What is the key of David? He says, I have the right to rule. I'm in David's line. So David was king and his descendants, God said, your, your descendants will reign over the house of Israel forever. Well, I mean, in the natural, that didn't happen. Because in the natural, you had uh, people taken off to Assyria. You had people taken off to Babylon. And so you say, Lord, did you keep your promise to David? Absolutely he did. Because his descendant, Jesus Christ, is king of kings and lord of lords and will rule forever and ever. Where did that promise come from? 
David is sitting in his palace, and he has a palace with lots of cedar. How many, how many of you guys like cedar? How many of you love the smell of it? Can you imagine having a palace of cedar? The cedar of Lebanon brought to you. And he's living in this great palace, and he's sitting and he goes, Lord, I live in this wonderful palace. But you, now I know you're, you're everywhere. I know you're in the, the forest and you're in the mountains and you're everywhere. But, but the place we have for your presence, the house we built for you is a tent. Because this is the place that the Israelites built for God according to his instruction while they were nomads in the wilderness. So it had to be a mobile tent. Now, I love a good tent. I just bought a new one. I'm really excited about it. But I don't want to live in that tent, right? It's a nice tent, but it's not nice, nice like living it nice, right? And, and so David says, Lord, I live in a house, but you, you live in a tent. That's not right. Lord, let me build you a house that's worthy of your name. And God says to him, you're a man of blood. You've shed a lot of blood in many battles. You have blood on your hands. You can't build my temple. But he says, your son will. In fact, God says something to him. He says, you can't build my house, but I'll build your house. And he makes a promise to him, your descendants will reign on this throne forever. Do you think that those kind of things matter to us in 2022? Like, or do you think that's just passe? Like, that's just, psh, that's just ancient world. They cared about things like that, promises and covenants and things. No, this is us. Do you realize that it matters in the New Testament that he says you've been grafted into the family of Abraham? You are children of Abraham and heirs of the promise. Don't you realize God keeps promises and covenants? These are things he'll never break in a world of broken treaties and broken promises. And when elections come up, we don't believe half the things those guys say. We don't honestly think they're going to do half the things they want to do. And, and then the other half, we hope they don't do those things. Right? So we've come to believe that a promise is just something you say to appease someone for a bit. Promise you something you say when you're really excited and you want to make somebody feel good. But to God, covenant is unbreakable. Promises are unbreakable. And he is a God of generations. How did he introduce himself? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of fathers and sons of mothers and daughters. Remember, he says to his people, remember your father Abraham. Remember your mother Sarah. Look to the rock that you were cut from. Look to the quarry that you were dug out of. You are made of stiffer stuff than this. In Hebrews chapter 10 when it says we're not of those. When you say of those, it means these are my people. If you say I, I'm of the kind of people that don't back down, that's what Hebrews 10 says. We're not of those that back down. We're of those that don't draw back but press forward by faith to the salvation of the soul. That's what it says in Hebrews 10. Then Hebrews 11 says, now faith is and begins to tell you your family tree of all these men and women of faith. And it says they were, Abraham would rather live in a tent in a land of promise because someday my descendants will be here. It says by faith, he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Joseph gave instructions concerning his bones. He said to his kids and his grandkids, I can't go with you to the promised land, but you make me a promise. You take my bones with you when you go. This is a father 
who sees that it's not just about my lifetime. It's about the lifetime after me and the lifetime after me. That if they go, I'm going. And Hebrews says this. says all these people, Moses would rather live with the the Israelites than, than with the palaces of the Egyptians. Uh, Abraham would lever, rather live in a tent than a house. All these people were seeking a city whose builder is God. We're seeking a different place. And it says, without us, they're not made perfect. All of these died without the promise, but we're the ones that get to finish their race. So you're running a race right now that is actually finishing Abraham's race, that is finishing David's race. You're not running just your race. We're, we're part of the long relay race that God has been building throughout time. This is really cool. It's not just cool, but it's, it's, it's everything. I think the question is, not only what am I picking up? Jesus said, I am harvesting a field I didn't plant. He said in Samaria to his disciples, we are harvesting the seeds that somebody else planted. Now, if Jesus, the author and finisher, if Jesus, the greatest preacher the world ever knew, could say, I didn't start this, somebody else started this, I'm finishing it, then who are you to start over? Why would you start from scratch? Do you, like God is building something through generations that, that is eternal. He's building something through generations that, that has his essence in it. Why would we say, well, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to start from scratch. Why don't we realize that we're just stepping into a relay race that's already started and recognize and say God kept his promise to our fathers, to our mothers. What are we sowing for the next generation? Let me read you something. It says, David, remember, we read this just a minute ago. David after fulfilling the purposes of God in his generation, died. What were the purposes of God for David? Would you turn to 1 Chronicles with me for a minute? 1 Chronicles 22, David is nearing the end of his life. It's coming to the close of the time that he has on this planet. I saw a a reel on Instagram the other day that was hilarious. Showed David showing up in heaven and all these people applauding for him, right? He's a hero. Then it shows him running into Bathsheba's husband. And uh, <laughs> things got awkward real quick. <laughs> Everybody's a hero to somebody and a villain to somebody else. <laughs> Thank God for the mercy of God, amen? Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for grace. If David could have it, so could you especially all of us on the side of the cross. First Chronicles 22. Verse 2 says, So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel. And he set stone cutters to hew out stones to build the house of God. David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails of the doors of the gates and for the clamps and more bronze that could be weighed and timbers of cedar logs beyond number for the Sidonians and Tyrians brought large quantities of cedar timber to David. David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house of the Lord that is to, the house that is built to be built for the Lord, to be built for Yahweh, shall be exceedingly magnificent. Famous and glorious throughout all the lands. Therefore now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. 
God said, you're not going to get to build my house. So you know what David started doing? He started spending the rest of his life, every breath he had, preparing for his son. Preparing for his son to build a house. He made political alliances just to get the materials. He made deals with the Lebanese. He made deals with the Tyrians. He made deals with these people and said, just so I can get some cedar, just so I can get the right kind of rock. He did everything so Solomon could step into his destiny so that David could say, I may not get to build it, but you're going to get to build it, son. This is a man who understands. These are men and women of faith. Listen, a, a, a man who is so tied to this present world says, what about my life? What happens when I die? Even a man like Hezekiah was short-sighted. Hezekiah, the prophet, came to him and said, get your house in order. You're about to die. Hezekiah says, oh, Lord, please don't make me die. He turned his face to the wall and said, God, don't, don't let me die. I want to live longer. And so the prophet comes back and he says, somehow you changed God's mind. But here's the deal. You're going to live longer, but there's going to be war. And they're going to come in and, and mess up your country, but it won't happen in your lifetime. Hezekiah says, oh, as long as it's not in my lifetime. It's not a great attitude. The men and women of faith that we see in Hebrews 11 were thinking about people that were yet to be born. Moses, God let him stand. God let him stand up on the mountain and peer into the promised land. And then God like chucked him off the cliff. I don't know how he died. We just know no, no human found his body. <laughs> like Moses died looking at the promised land, and he goes, thank you. Abraham died, never getting to see the fulfillment of promise, and he goes, thank you. David died, not seeing the temple built, and he goes, thank you. What kind of men and women of faith are these? That say, I may not see it, but you're going to see it. My descendants will see it, and I consider that a promise kept. That's what faith is. You know, I'm still harvesting seeds my father planted. I'm still walking in communities where they go, you look like your dad. You're welcome here. A door is open for me that I didn't open. Somebody else opened this. And I go in. I get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people come to the Lord because of a seed uh, my father planted, not knowing his son would someday walk in it and, and harvest those same seeds and drink from the wells that he dug. See, men and women of faith realize it's not just about my life. It's a relay race. John, John the Baptist, remember it says after he fulfilled his purpose, he said, I'm not he, but there's one coming. He didn't get to see Jesus resurrected. He didn't get to see the new covenant. He was the last great prophet of the old covenant, and yet he rejoiced. I mean, he had a hiccup there when he was in prison, about to get his head chopped off. He started to doubt who Jesus was, but he came back around. You know, here's... What it says as we continue in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 6, Then he called for his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Yahweh, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had intended to build a house to the name of Yahweh my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You've shed much blood, you've waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you've shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, a son will be born to you. Who shall be a man of rest, a man of peace, a man of shalom. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I'll be his father. Stop there for a minute.
Can you imagine how hard it is when you know how hard it is to be a king? David had lived through civil war. He lived through splitting and reunification of, of Israel. And to know that you're going to put your son in that mess and you're not going to be around to help him. My son's going to have to take this job and it's not a great job. Everybody's after you all the time. You've got to watch your back all the time. Even your own kids could come after you. And yet God makes him a promise. I'll be your son's dad. When you're gone, I'll be his dad. What a great promise. I'll, he'll be my son. I'll be a father to him. He says, Solomon, I'm sorry, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And so that's speaking of Jesus to come. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord your God just as he's spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of Yahweh your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. And these are the same words that Moses planted in Joshua. These are the words that David plants in the Solomon. These are the words that fathers and mothers give their kids. I can't go with you every day of your life. I can't always be there, but the God who is with me will be with you. You keep his ways. You walk in his paths. You be careful to do what he says to do and be strong and courageous. In fact, he doesn't just say be strong. He says the same thing that God said through Moses to Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. Well, I'm not that strong, Dad. You are in the strength of God. In his strength you are. So only be strong and courageous. Then he says, don't be dismayed, don't fear. Now behold, with great pains, this cost me something. I have prepared for the house of Yahweh a hundred thousand talents of gold and a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight, for they are in great quantity. Also timber and stone I have prepared, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters and masons of stone and carpenters, and all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and the iron, there is no limit. Arise and work, and may the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon, saying, Is not Yahweh your God with you? Has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before Yahweh and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord, Yahweh your God. Arise, therefore, and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Arise and work, son. God's with you. Arise and work, friends. God's with us. This is the encouragement of fathers and mothers. Realizing that God is a God of generations. That the blessing of God, that, that, that God has removed the curse of generations, but he has not removed the blessing of generations. Jesus took the curse that was on families. 
See, if your family, if your family has all this stuff, all this baggage and all this history and the curse that you say, my fathers did this and now I'm paying for it. You became part of a new family when you stepped into the family of God. And Jesus took that for you. The Bible says, in this covenant I'm making with them, says the Lord, no longer will the children say our fathers ate sour grapes and now our teeth are on edge. They said, in those covenant, each one will pay for their own sins. You're not paying for the sins of your father. Why? Because when Jesus was on the cross and said, I'm thirsty, what'd they give him? Sour wine. And he drank it for you. So you may have a mess up of a family. You may have a brutal story, but you've got a new story now. And you've been, you've been called into this family. You read Hebrews 11, that's your family tree. And yet, that spiritual family and the natural family work together. And fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, we know what it means to invest. David said, it's cost me a lot to do this. I gave everything I had to make sure you could do what God called you to do. That's the kind of fathers and mothers we need today. Can I ask you a question? When your kids stand before the Lord on that great day, how many trophies will he care about? All the stuff they won in baseball. All the stuff they won in hockey. Stanley Cup. Soccer. He's not going to care. But nobody cares about that. He's not going to care. Scholarships. Grades. Those are important. I think they're important, but God's not going to ask you what your grades were. Are you investing in your children based on what God's going to ask about that day? What are you spending your life making sure? Are you making sure they're ready for that day? You can't make the decisions for them, right? Can, can I give you some, can we just take a weight off your back? The first two kids that God had brought a curse on the whole planet. <laughs> so if, you, if you're putting the weight of your kids on your own back, listen, then you got to judge God. Right? God gave his kids free will, and they used it pretty badly. And so you can't be blamed for every stupid thing your kids do. But you can invest in them. Thank you, Jesus. You can invest. David said, I invested everything I had. It cost me a lot because I wanted to see God's promise fulfilled in your life. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And Paul said to these people here, sons, listen to this. He said, the promise God made to our fathers, he has kept to our children. Isn't that awesome? He didn't say the promise God made to our fathers, he kept to me or to you. He said the promise he made to our fathers, he kept to our kids. Paul Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children too. He says even our sons and daughters will prophesy. Do you realize that God is interested in your family? And Paul is telling these people, pay attention. God has not let our fathers down. He kept his word to Abraham. He kept his word to Moses. He kept his word to David. But let me tell you this, the, the one thing that all those guys, and John the Baptist too, all those things had one, all those guys had one thing in common. Abraham and Sarah, Gideon, Deborah, these men and women had something in common. They saw beyond their own life, and they sowed into it. Jesus 
sowed into the disciples and said, it's good for you if I go away because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He prepared them for when he was gone. He's never gone. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but when he was not physically there. Are we investing in that? First of all, are we too proud to admit, I'm just stepping into something I didn't start? You know, one of my spiritual fathers, the Lord had said to him very clearly, no more starting over. He realized that every generation were so, were so eager to throw off the chains of the previous generation. I've noticed this. I've been around not as long as some of you, but I've been around long enough to notice this. Every generation, and this happens in Christianity too, every generation reacts to the previous generation. We're all living in reaction to them. Well, we don't do it that way. We don't wear that. We don't sing that. We don't do that. We're, you know, we're enlightened. You know what? We'll go back to it. I mean, things go in cycles. Every now and then somebody says, oh, man, did you hear this new thing? I'm like, that's not a new thing. We talked about that in the 80s. It all comes around again. The, the stuff you're wearing, I mean, it all comes around again. You all raided your parents' closet at some point and found, this, found the bell bottoms they weren't using or something. I don't know. It all comes around, and yet we keep starting over. Well, we're going to do something new. But you know what? Why don't you recognize that the same spirit that was in them is in you? And he's not going to do it exactly like he did right there. See, the other side of that is that we think, well, we had revival in the 90s. Let's go back and sing those songs. Let's go back and do it the way we did in the 90s. God's not in the 90s right now. He's here. So it's going to look different, but, but can we embrace and honor what God did in our fathers and our grandfathers and our mothers and our grandmothers? Can we look to Abraham, our father? Can we look to Sarah, our mother? Can we look to these people and say, what did you plant? And, and I'm walking in, in, in a harvest field I didn't plant. And can we be like David and, and consider that the purposes of God for you, you are called to live out the purpose of God in your generation. I don't know how long that is. I don't know if Jesus could come back tomorrow. All I know is that his definition of soon is not necessarily my definition of soon. And he's coming quickly. Quickly is not when he's coming, it's how fast he's coming when he comes. Like lightning from one side of the sky to the other. And I know this. My dad always used to say, this may be the last generation. It may not be, but it's my last generation. What will you do with your generation? If you sow into the next generation and Jesus comes tomorrow, he's not going to count that against you. He's going to say, you did what I told you to do. So if we're preparing for the church 500 years from now, you know, I, I'd be surprised. But you know what? At least we'll be doing what the Lord told us to do because the word is eternal. And if I'm planting into a church that's hundreds of years from now, I'll definitely be planting into the kids that are being children's ministry right now. So... We each are called to fulfill the purpose of God in our generation. Then we get to go. David considered the purpose of God for his life and his generation was not just to be king and to die. It was to set up the next guy. Your purpose is not just tied to you. Your purpose is not just tied to you. Every man and woman of faith in the Bible, their purpose was tied to their descendants. Their purpose was tied to people they'd never see. Abraham did not just rejoice over his natural children. He rejoiced to see that all the nations would be blessed, even the Canadians, even those people in, in far-off lands that he didn't even know existed would be blessed through his descendants. 
And that's why it was worth it for him as an old man to believe God when he looked at his body as good as dead, to believe God. When he looked at Sarah and Sarah looked at her own life and she said, I believe God. Is anybody here wanting to, to, even if God did a miracle in your body, anybody here say, when I'm in my 90s, I want to go into labor? (laughs) Like I feel like I'm up for it. Even if God said, I'll keep you alive. I don't care. I don't want to be around for that. Sarah did that for you. Sarah did that for kids she'd never see. Believe me, it's not easy. I mean, you don't have to believe me. Believe yourself. It's not easy raising a little toddler when you're in your 90s. But she did it because God said, this is not about you. It's not even about Isaac. It's not even about Jacob. It's not even about Joseph. It's about them, but it's about the kids you'll never see. It's about someday through your seed, I will bring my son. My son and your son. Jesus was the son of God and the son of man. Do you know what he called himself mostly? Son of man. He was fully God, yet he called himself the son of humanity. I'm the son of humanity. I'm the son of man. God said someday my seed and your seed. Jesus is going to save everything. And all the nations will be blessed through him. So Abraham figured it was worth it to live in a tent. Sarah considered it was worth it to go into labor in her old age. Joseph considered it was worth it to live in Egypt and say, take my bones with you. David considered it was worth it to spend his fortune preparing for his son. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, all these people, all these men and women of God prepared something that they'd never see. Invest in what's going to matter. Can we stand up together?